This is the Ironside Podcast with Tom Dinkelman and me, Brett Kane. Good evening, Tom. What's going on, buddy? It's good to be back, finally. Yeah, absolutely. I missed you the last couple episodes. And we are joined today by the one and only Owen Cyclops. Owen, welcome aboard. Thanks for having me, man. I'm really glad to be here. Well, it's an honor to have you, and you know you you've uh, made quite a splash in, in the interwebs, uh, Twitter in particular. But if, for those who might not have got to see see your artwork or, or follow you on on Twitter, can you just give a, a little thumbnail of yourself and what you're about? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it's really all just summed up in that I'm a weird internet person, but of course, that's not very specific. I'm an artist, I do comics, I'm really an illustrator. Um, so I do visual art, graphics, images, comics as well. Uh, now it's kind of shifted over mostly to the comic domain. Um, I am Christian and a weird guy. And I only say that because that pretty much sums up my vibe in general. So when I'm writing or doing art or doing pretty much anything, it's usually about either my life or a lot of the topics that I'm into, America, paranormal stuff, conspiracy things, religion, historical theology, uh, things like that. So that's pretty much my domain. And that's where I hang out and do my thing. So pretty much everywhere. Everywhere. Oh, online everywhere. Yeah. In terms of topics, it's funny. It feels like, you know, I feel like I'm kind of at the nexus. If you drew like a bunch of Venn diagrams, of like where Bigfoot meets theology, meets comics, meets drawings and all that. Um, I'm, on, I'm, I'm in a weird space where a lot of Venn diagrams overlap. And I think that's maybe why people uh, enjoy what I do, hopefully. Absolutely. And, you know, I, it, it's cool to see, and, you, and you've talked about this uh, uh, on, on some other shows, you know, kind of that apotheosis, you know, and, and I know you're not trying to be, uh, conceited or anything but but it, it is this kind of uh metamorphosis like you said from a caterpillar to a butterfly as as you've grown and evolved uh, and, and really i think elevated uh yourself and and your art but how did you get started you know your your drawings are incredible and i i like to draw myself and i'm you know nowhere near as talented or creative so i mean did you do this since you were a kid or or how'd that start Oh, thanks, man. I'm glad you like my art. That's cool. I got to see your drawings then. Um, yeah, it's funny. So uh, obviously, I guess maybe not obviously, some people obviously don't know who I am, but I did just release a book of comics. It's called Channel One. It's a collection of comics. It's like 250 pages. And it's funny because I didn't really expect it to be this like document that summed up this big chunk of my life, but it really was. It was almost like I've, it's almost like I've been in a band for years and now we just recorded our first album. That's really what it feels like. So looking at it, I was thinking like, oh, wow, I've gone on this huge art journey and now I'm just holding this like medium to large size book in my hands. That's like the first album. It feels like it really marked this like, you know, progression and cut of time. Uh, how I got started, I've been doing art pretty much forever. Uh, since I was like 13 or 14, I've been totally obsessed with drawing and visuals all the time, every day. So it's been a pretty long road. Um, how I got started is actually kind of funny considering where I ended up. Uh, I guess some people have just always been into art. That hasn't been the case for me. Uh, I did have a, a moment that I was actually thinking about today that really did start my art journey that kind of contextualizes everything else. 
I was in this bookstore in Vermont. I must have been like literally 13 years old. And I looked at the shelf and there was this book sitting there. I can actually still see it in my mind. It's this purple and black book. And it said stencil revolution. And I took it off the shelf. And if that didn't happen, I might've become a totally different person. It was a book all about stencil graffiti, which um, in case the name doesn't imply it, you know, you, you can imagine taking a piece of cardboard, cutting, you know, a letter W out of the cardboard. And then if you put it on a wall and spray paint it, the W goes through, you know, it's like you're painting with a stencil basically. And at the time, it just turned my mind on in such a crazy way because I was thinking, wow, like I'm kind of a punk kid. I guess I think graffiti is cool because it's like rebellious and I can get like a message out to people. But at the time I couldn't draw. I had like zero drawing ability. And I got totally obsessed with that because I was thinking, well, this is something I could do even though I presently have very little to no artistic talent. I can be in my basement, cut out a stencil and then go out and paint it. And I got totally obsessed with that for a long time. Uh, just like being kind of this, frankly, like really rebellious wandering kid in the suburbs doing graffiti and stuff like that. And it's a funny place to start because it seems kind of totally unrelated to what I do now, but there is a kind of like purity and genuineness to that world that I think is obscured by, you know, doing graffiti, you're going out and like destroying people's property. Obviously I'm like very anti that now as an adult, but something about it, you know, you're going out people don't know it's you. You're like leaving this art behind. You're not making money from it. It's really just for the love of like the visuals and doing it. That really sparked something in me that I feel like never went away. And even later on, when I started studying classical art and actually trying to be good at doing art, that mindset of like, oh, I'm doing this. So other people see it. And I have this really genuine love of just making stuff for people to look at. Um, that really started the whole journey and it really never went away. How did you make the shift from going from there to publishing a book? <clears throat> um, well, to put it in a nutshell, I got really obsessed with graffiti at that time. You know, I was a really young teenager and I started getting into artists that were doing like 3D, very like complicated artwork. And I realized that I needed to actually learn how to draw to keep progressing. So I actually found this like classical art studio place. I started studying there. And, you know, doing still lives and painting fruit for like six to 10 hours. It was that kind of vibe. And I basically never looked back. So I just kept the train going. Um, I floated for a little while, but in the direction of the book, I got really into religion and religious art when I went to college. Uh, and that was like the second train leaving the station that never stopped. Um, as an illustrator, so I call myself an illustrator. And if people aren't in the art world, that kind of distinguishes me from someone who's like a fine artist who would make like paintings to go in your living room. And then maybe on the other end of the spectrum, there's like a graphic designer who would make, you know, the layout for a magazine or a really nice looking like CD cover or advertisement or something. I'm kind of like in the middle of those two worlds. So like I do drawings and they sort of like usually serve a purpose. It's not exactly fine art, but it's not exactly graphic design. And yeah, I mean, it's, we could go into it. It's a whole nother arc of my arc of my life. But yeah, I got really obsessed with religion, reading religious texts. And from college onwards, I basically was just obsessed with religious art, religion, reading as many religious texts as possible, studying religious art, doing drawings related to different religious art aesthetics, trying to kind of figure out my own space in that situation. And uh, yeah, I could keep going, but how it led to the comics kind of dovetails with the internet being online 
Um, as an illustrator, you sort of have to meet the world halfway. So I started doing comics just every now and then, but when I realized it was a really good way for me to get my vibe and ideas and just art out there, it gradually started taking up more and more and more of the pie chart to where now it's, you know, it's probably, it's definitely most of the pie chart now for sure. Well, I'm curious with, uh, with your art, with your studies, with everything, has the art affected your opinions more or have your opinions and your studies affected the art more? Oh, that's such a good question, dude. Um, it's kind of a feedback loop. It's kind of a feedback loop um, in a larger sense. So like something that's interesting about doing art is that there's, you know, so you're looking at an image, someone made that image. Yeah. But the way it fits into a larger visual context is really interesting. And I think plays a larger role in the process than people would think. And what I mean by that for me is that I really gravitated towards the situation where someone is making religious art. I think partially as a reaction against the place that I was when I was in art school, you know, everyone's making like very like commercial art and a lot of modern art. So basically everyone you're around is either like a modern painter doing kind of like abstracty modern art or they're doing like hyper commercial art. And I think something about that where I was already sort of feeling like a black sheep, maybe kind of react to it and look for something outside of those worlds. And I really started to identify with the religious artists, you know, people in any time period, just making art to kind of uplift like the human spirit and their community and the way religious art can kind of package and carry a whole worldview and culture and context for being is basically the whole, <laughs> the whole thing I've been doing. It really revolves around that. So when you ask me, you know, did the ideas influence the art or the art influence the ideas more? It kind of goes back and forth. I'll read a book and it will affect what I'm doing, but then it also goes the other way where I'll go deeper into a visual aesthetic and that'll kind of affect the ideas, affect the ideas. So it's kind of hard to separate them at this point. I'm curious if there was one particular piece that you saw that started the journey into Christianity. Yeah. Um... I wouldn't say it was a piece of art. It's funny because I actually did go to Italy and I looked at a lot of Renaissance art. I was there for a while in person, but at the time I really wasn't turned on to Christianity at all. So in the, in the sort of like, you know, journey that we're talking about, when I got turned on to religion in general, it was via like Eastern religions, uh, mostly like Taoism and reading the Tao Te Ching and stuff like that. And it really flipped my perspective upside down because, you know, I was a lot younger and I really thought religion was just a collection of superstitions. Like I was really in that bubble where I was like, yeah, religion, like people do it. Like, I guess it's kind of dumb. But when I read the Tao Te Ching and things like that, I was like, oh, there is something deeper here. Like, I guess I really have been lied to. And it really sparked the desire in me to read all these different religious texts. But I really was kind of like a stereotypical don't know what word to use here exactly, but I guess I'll say like a stereotypical, like liberal city person um, where I really did just think like all the religions were cool, but I never really thought about Christianity or honestly took it seriously at all. So that was way more of like my life developing. That only happened maybe like four to five years ago. Um, there's a term that we sometimes use in like spiritual studies, I guess you could say, which is the spiritual buffet. 
And that's kind of like what I was doing for a long time. You know, you're like this, you can imagine I'm a guy, I'm in the city, I'm doing psychedelics. I think religion's cool, but I probably would have said like, I'm spiritual, but not religious, maybe even. And, you know, you're sampling from all these different plates, but probably because of my biases and everything at the time, I hadn't really like seriously considered Christianity. That was more of like a philosophical and life development rather than something that was based in the art. At what point uh, in, in your journey, because you're still on a journey, we all are, uh, <laughs> did you meet your wife? Yeah, so we, we met, uh, I was working, you know, in and around the arts, and I used to live in New York City, I tell people that, so it was in the mecca of a certain uh, vibe and mindset. You know, it's funny, because so much of like posting online and people talking about online has to do with like relationships and people give like advice for like meeting girls and women and stuff like that. I usually don't really chime in because I feel like my story is, is so odd. But at the time, so I guess I, I guess I should paint just, you know, we're talking about a few specifics, but just in a very broad picture, I really took the road from like Eastern religions to let's say like Western occult kind of like new agey figuring it out and then into Christianity. And when we met, we were both kind of like Western esoteric uh, people, I guess you could say, um, but her in more of a female way and me in more of a male way. Um, I do think that, you know, obviously I think men and women are, are different in some ways. It's probably not very shocking for anyone listening to this, but uh, in a spiritual way, you know, she was kind of on like the nature seasons, you know, crystal-y kind of stuff and things like that. And I was more of like a reading like, you know, 900 page books from the 1400s, kind of like Western esoterica guy. And we met and that was part of what we bonded over initially. Um, over time, I think we both kind of figured out something was up with that world. We both kind of got, you know, the intuition that maybe this wasn't like the right road for us. And we kind of floated for a while. Um, but that's when we met. We were both we were both doing like the kind of weird um, esoteric religious path, I guess you could say, me doing like Western occult and her being kind of into, I guess you could say like witchy female spirituality stuff. Well, how did that dynamic work to where you guys were able to, to meet someplace that was unified in that? Oh, dude. Oh, because, um, cause it's basically kind of like the same thing, but it just manifests differently for like men and women. I mean, a caricature of it, that's actually pretty accurate. Not that I'm saying I was this, but like a, a caricature that'd be pretty accurate is like, if you imagine a witch, you know, witches have like a nature-y, crystal-y, like intuition-y vibe in the popular consciousness, like in like fantasy and stories and stuff like that. And then you have like the wizard, which is like the male counterpart. And the wizard has like, you know, 10,000 books upstairs and he's opening up, you know, the dusty 8,000 page, you know, book from the 1400s to figure out this, you know, gematria thing and stuff like that. So they're, ba they're basically kind of like the same thing, just manifesting in like a male and female uh, capacity, I would say. The female side leaning more towards like intuition and nature and stuff, and the male side leaning more towards like obsessive diagrams and laying out things like, you know, the four elements and the zodiac and all that stuff. So we, we kind of were like the same religion, if that makes sense, but I wouldn't exactly know what to call it. It wouldn't be totally accurate to call it Western occult, but it was kind of like that. It wasn't like we were doing like, you know, black masses or anything crazy like that. But maybe if you made, you know, the Western occult vibe, like 10,000 times more casual, we kind of were like the same religion when we <laughs> met basically. Yeah. Man, that's awesome. That That's, that's really cool that 
And that's a good example too. I, I think that that's spot on. And that's, that's fascinating that you two were kind of in the same place and then you went to the next place at the same time. And so, and then Christianity, and is that something that, that you two feel unified uh, about? Do you, do you guys, you know, read the scriptures together, go to church together? How, how's that work now? Yeah, it's been pretty interesting, man, because, you know, it's, it's actually really funny. We're talking about this, which, which I really enjoy because when I introduce myself, I'm never sure how to describe how the arc of my story colors who I am now, because on the one hand, sometimes I'm like, well, I don't want to be that guy who's always talking about like how he used to be, you know, but it is like an intrinsic part of, of who I am and what I talk about and what I do. So it's, it's just kind of funny. Um, I'm happy to talk about it though. It's like, it honestly is like a huge part of what I do. So the, it's the spiritual situation now has been really interesting because it was kind of like we both intuited that something was up that, that where we were, you know, where we had pulled our car off on the freeway was like, not really the vibe. I think part of that was for like, frankly, like political and social reasons. Like you start to get the intuition of like, Hmm, like all these things that we think are bad. Everyone in this car park that we pulled off on is like really, really, really into, I'm kind of getting like some intuition there. Um, also, honestly, it's funny, we were, you know, with the art, I'm a very visual person. Also, just like aesthetically, I started to sense that like something was up, which sounds kind of dumb. But like when you're in that esoterica world, eventually you are kind of like, why does all this have like a really dark flavor to it? That started to like turn me on to being like, mm, something is going on here. Um, and philosophically, some people are probably wondering, you know, why I kind of got let out of it. It was basically like realizing that like good and evil actually exist. And then that this sort of, I wasn't really on the team, but I was like hanging out with the team at parties. That's kind of how you could put it. Um, so I was like, oh, good and evil exist. And like, I kind of feel like I'm not really on the right team right now. Like what's going on? So that's a whole story we could go into, but uh, that was basically what happened. And we were kind of floating for a while. I think it was actually really, really difficult. Um, it's part of why I talk about it because people do contact me and they're like, you know, uh, I've made my whole life, like I've, I'm really into tarot cards and astrology and that's like my jam and vibe. And that's like what I do, but I'm kind of realizing that like Christianity is the move, but like, I don't like, if you think about it, if you're that kind of person, like you really are like uprooting your whole life. I mean, it kind of is like moving, you know, it kind of is like moving away from everyone, you know, and, uh, I'm sure some people here have been like spiritual seekers, you know, maybe gone through a few different paths, but one of the hard parts is that you really do start to identify with it. And, you know, if you're into that kind of stuff, you know, you're talking about it at parties, you're probably have like some posters in your room, but it really becomes like part of who you are just as much as, you know, any other religious path, even though anyone like myself included would probably like joke about it, but it really does become part of like who you are. And people do contact me and they're like, you know, what should I do? Like, I don't know how to like square this circle. And we were kind of floating for a while. And that was pretty difficult, honestly. Um, I didn't really know where to seek like spiritual direction. I didn't really know like what to do. And even after becoming Christian, it was kind of like, okay, now we're in like, you know, the new neighborhood and like, this is way better. But it's also been interesting because I haven't exactly landed anywhere in particular. Like I, you know, there's different obviously denominations of Christianity. And so it's kind of like I'm in a new neighborhood but I haven't found like the place that I go to regularly. So it's been really interesting, man. And we were talking about family stuff before. That's really put like the pedal to the metal because 
now I'm like the spiritual director of my family. I have a baby. And now that I have the baby, it's like, okay, now I'm not like just playing around like with my own spiritual situation. So it's been interesting. You asked how it is for both of us together. We're both kind of like, uh, not still figuring it out. I wouldn't say that's the right word, but it, we're figuring out exactly what the ramifications are and how, it, how I should say how it manifests in our family in particular. That's kind of like where we are now. Well, and I think that synergy and, and greatness border on chaos in general. And so when you're able to, you know, when you guys went through the chaos together and then even adding a baby into the mix, a little more chaos, but how much stronger and how much better have you become because of it? Yeah. Yeah, man. And honestly, like when you talk about chaos and like the difficulty and stuff, like it was really hard to turn around because, you know, I, I went really hard into Buddhism. Buddhism was kind of my main like Eastern spirit, but that was my main spiritual camp for like a long time. And I really identified with it. I went really hard on it. And then the esoterica, Western occult stuff, it was really painful to be like, wow, I think I'm driving down the wrong road. And honestly, I feel like I drove about as far as I could while still being able to turn around. Like, you know, any guy could imagine, you know, if you've driven 2000 miles down a highway, it's pretty difficult to look at the people in the car and say, man, we're going down the wrong road. We have to turn around and drive all the way back. And it was really difficult, man. But I've grown. Uh, I'm, I'm such a better person now because of it. And I mean, it's not even comparable to call it night and day would not even be like an accurate comparison. That's awesome. We, we have a story that we've heard at our church a few times about uh, a dad and a son praying about which direction to go at a fork in the road. And it said that they prayed about it and decided to go to the right. And when they got down there, they got a few miles down the road and it was blocked off and there was nowhere they could go. And uh, they turned around to go back down the other side and the son says, dad, so we prayed about it and got that answer that that was the right way to go. He said, why was it blocked off? He said, because we got down there quick and was able to find out it wasn't the right path. Otherwise, we'd always be wondering. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like that's kind of your path, man. You went down that way and figured out, hey, I may be 2,000 miles down the road, but I could be 10,000 miles down the road and not know. Yeah, yeah. And there's a story There's a story like that. Um, well, not like that, but the same kind of moral in um, this book called the Hagakure. It's like a samurai like code book, I guess you could say. And they're trying to elect who the next like leader is going to be. And everyone votes for, let's say, guy A, one person votes for guy B, and they ask him why. And they're like, you know, you know, guy B used to be like a hardcore, like alcoholic. And he says, yeah, he already like went through that and got over it. So that means that he is actually like better equipped to deal with things like that and the problems we have. And then they end up electing, you know, guy B. Um, but yeah, it's been interesting. You know, it also fits with like me doing my online thing because I'm very upfront with the fact that I'm really just some random guy, but people do contact me and they're like, you know, I feel like I'm in the situation you described. And there's a whole other sort of aspect of my journey where, you know, I had like alcohol and like drug situations going on, which kind of fits in with like the occult stuff. I'm not trying to make myself sound like this weird, like messed up guy, but you know, everyone has their own like problems. But anyway, it's funny because yeah, I do this thing online. I do my art, but people contact me and they're like, you know, I read this thing you wrote about, you know, drinking and it really resonated with me. Or I read this thing you wrote about smoking weed. And I realized like, wow, I really should like stop doing that and everything. So it's funny, you know, people ask you, like, would you change anything about your life or things like that? But I don't know. I, I look at the whole big picture and I'm like, wow, I really am in this weird situation where I make comics and cool drawings and like try and talk to guys about like maybe not doing drugs or being part of like weird uh, religious paths and stuff. It's, it's a really interesting spot that I really never thought I would get to. 
going back in the story from when I started like doing graffiti when I was like 13 years old, like definitely did not see uh, all those developments coming. Well, that's really cool. And, and that's a, a beautiful testimony. It's a good reminder too, that, you know, we're, we're not stuck. Like none of, none of us, no matter where we're at in life are, are stuck and, and we can always change. We can always grow. We can always learn new things. Um, you know, and it's, it's interesting because obviously God made this world and everything in it for us. And, and it's, it's almost like, you know, people are, are going to, you know, this, this great destination. Uh, and then there's like this, you know, roadside attraction that they pull off on and then they get a flat tire and then they get stuck, you know, on, uh, you know, crystals or, or astrology or, or whatever it is. And it's like, yeah, well, that, that, that's not the main thing. Uh, I live in Olympia, Washington, and it's very, for lack of a better word, trendy uh, to, to be into that sort of occult stuff. It, it's almost like if Starbucks were into the occult, there, there's this, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just like, you know, it's all these, you know, uh, you know, early 20 white girls that are, they look mildly anemic, you know, and it's like, you know, just like the, the makeup and the outfits and like the, the whole, the whole vibe. And it's, and I'm not trying to denigrate anyone who, who's there, but it, it's just, it, it has a, a surface level vibe and, and there's so much more. And, you know, again, where, wherever you start, like, like keep, keep looking, like, don't, don't stop. And I think that's a great spot that you and your wife are in that, you know, you're, you're figuring the mechanics uh, of this out. Uh, what, what's your, your scripture study been like, you know, um, in, in terms of reading the Bible? It's <laughs> a really good question, man. Um, yeah. I'll, on the note that you just said, it's also interesting because I feel like I am also like equipped to give some level of like intelligent pushback to some of those things, because like I have been there, which is also just kind of like an interesting aspect of it. Um, anyway, though, more importantly, uh, the studies aspect of it has been interesting because when I first became Christian, you know, of course I'm online and I try and not let that influence my spiritual life in a certain way, but of course also it can influence it in a positive way. It kind of goes both ways. And of course people are like, Oh, are you going to be Catholic? Are you going to be, you know, Orthodox? Are you going to be, you know? And at first I was like, I'm just going to table all that because I need to just kind of get my head on straight and, and work on like my relationship with God and like figure stuff out. And I kind of pushed it on the back burner for a while. Um, but then my searching kind of became my study, I should say, not searching my study really became kind of characterized by seeing what different people had to say about all these different topics and things like that. And I've kind of oscillated pretty wildly, to be honest with you, back and forth between, you know, I'm working at my desk all the time. So I can listen to like eight to 10 hours of audio while I'm here working. If I'm doing like a project or something like, oh, I'm going to listen to like, you know, this lecture series and these people debating about these, like, you know, Calvinism versus Arminianism, Arminianism and all this stuff. And then sometimes I'm like, man, I really should just read this for myself and like, see what I think. So I kind of just oscillate pretty wildly between those two extremes. Like I'll read a few books of the Bible and kind of go into it on my own. And then, you know, wherever my head's at in terms of like going through history and the history of Christianity, which is a topic that I'm very interested in reading what people have to say and taking in some input from there. 
So I go back and forth and <laughs> kind of the funny thing is that for a really long time, what I thought would happen is I'd be like, oh, you know, this group is obviously correct and these other groups aren't. But for a really long time, actually the opposite happened, which was really annoying. And I would hear one person out on one side and be like, yeah, that makes sense. I totally see where you're coming from. That actually makes sense. Okay. And then I'd hear the opposing side out and be like, yeah, well, okay. That kind of also, actually, I could kind of see it that way too. Um, so I go back and forth. It's kind of interesting because I'm a very like informational and like debatey kind of person. And I go back and forth between some of the things I get obsessed with, you know, like we were just talking about Calvinism or something being like super essential, like fundamental things I have to figure out. And then sometimes being on the other side of like, dude, I just am so obsessed with this random topic that like, doesn't actually really affect my life. Maybe, um, maybe Calvinism isn't a good example. Cause that kind of is an important one, but so yeah, man, I go back and forth and I hit different groups and pockets of theological viewpoints, I guess you could say. It's pretty much always within the context of Christian history. So like for me, we're both, we're both of you guys, I don't know if you mind me asking, we're both of you guys like growing up Christian and stuff like that? Yep. Yeah. So okay. we're, we're both members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yeah, that's cool. I figured that. Cool. We can talk about that. I've been, I've been going into that stuff too. Uh, but anyway, the point is that, so for me, you can imagine like from the total outside, it's like, I didn't know anything about Christianity, like, like literally like nothing. Like I'd probably been in a church like two times, honestly, like it never, um, it was not anything like when I was growing up at all. So you can imagine it's like pretty intimidating that now all of a sudden I'm like, is the Pope like the leader? I don't know. Like <laughs> people seem to feel pretty strongly about it, but I don't really know. Um, so I really kind of had to start at the beginning and I would do like early Christianity and work my way forward and then hit the reformation and stuff like that. So when you ask me about my scripture study, I guess I feel the need to qualify it because it doesn't really sound like scripture study, but for me, it's like, well, I'm coming into this story so late in the game that like temporally, like from zero AD to now that it's been intimately married into a survey of like the history of the interpretation of it and the history of the ideas. Some people would probably say more so than is warranted, but those two things haven't been separate for me. They go together. I, you know what? I, I, I disagree, man. I think they do absolutely go together. I, I think that's 100% study the scriptures of the understanding. I think the, the history is so important. Um, you know, one of the things, so Brett and I both served missions for our church where we went out for two years and talk to people about about the church, talk to them about religion, and to see the path that you're talking about over and over again. And I wish that more people would have embraced the way that you're going about it. Because honestly, I, I think everybody has a different path with all when we all have the same goal in mind and trying to figure out a way to get there. And the real question is, is how do we get there? And so I think the way that you're studying it and going about it is the right thing for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, yeah, hopefully it is. Yeah. But no, that's really interesting. It must've been interesting being out, like talking to people like face to face about it. Yeah. It's been interesting too, because I mean, I'm, I'm a hundred, uh, not a hundred, I'm like probably 90% sure, I guess that you guys encountered this, like talking to people face to face, but it's like, everyone has these like larger presuppositions. And it was like, at first I thought I could just cut around that, but then like, I have them also. And then going through the history and like unpacking it, allowed me to see that. And it's like, I'm just zooming out like more and more and seeing more of the big picture, which also conversely allows me to zoom in to places more and being like, oh, that's what this like 
particular um, idea like has these larger ramifications and like, oh, I was looking at this this way because I guess I just thought that's, I never even thought about it. I never even thought about looking at it a different way, you know? Um, so that's been really, really, really interesting. Um, most recently, I have been going into the American situation. I kind of reached this point where I realized that I could basically explain like to a five-year-old, let's say, like the general story of Christianity, but I had a gap, like what I was calling from like the pilgrims to like the Pentecostals. So from like, they leave Europe to early 1900s, I was like, wow, this is like a total gray area. And it almost feels like the most important if I'm here in America. So that's kind of what I've been working on for like the last like year or longer actually is just padding out that zone. So yeah, it's a long answer, but like, yeah, like the scripture study and the historical study are like the same thing basically for me. That's awesome. You know, and, and that's the cool thing because there is so much to learn. You know, I, I was uh, talking to some guys who, you know, are really into like that kind of right-wing esoteric uh, sphere and just talking about, you know, for, for church, our curriculum right now is covering the old Testament, which has got, you know, we, we all know a lot of the stories or, 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 uh, even just peripherally uh, veggie tale versions or whatever we've all heard of David and Goliath, but there's some really cool stuff in there. Uh, and, and it, it's different, you know, it, it hits different where we're at in life. You know, I'm, I'm sure like you said, now being married and, and having a child that puts a new lens uh, on the stuff that you're learning Uh and how you apply that in your life. So my question is, where do you see yourself going? And how do you see yourself bringing up your son in such a way uh, that he is also equipped uh, to, to learn what you've learned without maybe going down necessarily all the same roads? And, and you've kind of touched on this on, on other shows, because um, obviously you're not going to you know, force anything upon him, but you don't want to be so hands off that he's just left out in the cold. Um, so how do you, how do you find that rhythm? Yeah, man. Well, for like, I don't want to call it mundane things, but let's call it like more, um, day to day or like general life things. I have thought about that a lot, uh, for things like, you know, like, let's say like drinking or something like that, you know, it's pretty, it's a lot easier for me to answer because my parents just like never talked to me about like anything like that at all. So it's pretty easy for me to just kind of flip the script and be like, well, I'll talk, I'll talk to him about it. And we'll actually, you know, we'll actually talk about it. Imagine. So that kind of stuff is pretty easy. I mean, not easy, but you know, I kind of know what the plan of action is, I guess, let's say. Um, but for the spiritual stuff, it gets a lot harder because you know, I'm the kind of person where if someone tells me, if someone told me, you know, hey, this, this thing, this book is bad, you know, just so you know, I'd be like, all right, well, I'm going to check it out. And I'll let you know, like, I'm not just going to take your word for it, obviously. And, and I don't really want my son to do that. Like, I wouldn't really want him to be like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll just take what you say. And, you know, I'll just follow it and never, never think critically about it. Like, I, I wouldn't want that. But then there's like the catch 22 of like wanting to lay like a solid spiritual foundation which I, I feel pretty good about, but I don't know, man, it branches out into so many different things. Cause there's like having a spiritual community, there's, you know, specific views about specific things, even going to a church, even things like that. 
so I'm kind of caught in this like catch 22 where I am comfortable with me being a guy who's like, yeah, I'm not really sure what to think about X, Y, and Z. I mean, you know, obviously I'm hundred percent sure God exists and all this stuff, but I'm floating on a few other things, but I feel like I don't really want to impart this kind of like question mark, question mark, question mark to my kid. But at the same time, I don't want to just lie and just say, oh, I, I kind of picked this answer arbitrarily. So I have an answer to give you. Here you go. That like almost feels worse. Um, so it's, that's something I've been thinking about a lot. I'm not really sure exactly what the move is, but it's like coming down the pipeline is like the most pressing issue. It's funny because I mentioned, so I'm doing the 1800 stuff, you know, and uh, I was reading Life of Joseph Smith. And in the beginning, he's like, yeah, I didn't know what church to join. And I was really vexed by it. And I was like, yeah, dude, like, tell me about it. Like, <laughs> I was like, welcome to my life, man. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah, I was reading it. And I was like, yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, it, it doesn't get any easier as they get older, though. I mean, you're I mean, you've got a baby. My my oldest is 15 and my youngest is 12. And it's interesting because I've watched uh, Olivia, my oldest, as she regurgitates the things that I've said. And it's and my wife says, that's that's your opinion that she's saying. And I said, I get that. And so I've had to constantly go back and say, hey, listen, that's OK that you have that opinion, but you need to be able to justify it. It can't just be because that's what dad said. And it, it's, it's difficult to find that balance. I'll just tell you right now. So if there was an answer after 15 years, I don't have it either. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think there's like, you know, I think some people kind of idolize this, like usually not religious people, honestly, but kind of idolize this idea of like, well, you know, we'll just kind of raise the kid neutral with no worldview and they'll make up all their own decisions. And obviously that's like a total fantasy. Um, so yeah, it's been on my mind a lot for sure. Yeah. And you know, that, that's one of the cool things. This is one of my favorite uh, things Jesus Christ said is that in, in Luke, he says, I would that you were either hot or cold, you know, but because you're lukewarm, uh, you're, you're good for nothing but to be spat out. You know, it's, it's like yeah. one way or the other, like, don't just sit on the fence, um, you know, and, and for good or bad. And again, you know, we're, we're not stagnant. Uh, we, we can all, always change. And, you know, I, I like that. I'm thinking about, so my daughter's six and she's getting to that point where she'll challenge, you know, what we say. Like if I say, Hey, uh, that's not safe. And she'll be like, why isn't it safe? What are you talking about? I can, you know, and it, she's like questioning these things. And I have to be able to articulate in such a way that I can present a convincing argument, uh, you know, or explain why she needs to go to bed or why she, uh, should brush her teeth, you know, all these things, but I I've been really encouraged and I don't you know if this will last, but she never has pushed back, uh, on things that we teach her about the gospel, which is cool, you know, and, and again, I like, I want her to have her own experiences with that, but she, she really, and she asks us questions, uh, you know, she asks, you know, well, you know, why this or why that? And I'll try and give her the best answer I can. Uh, but we've taught her from a very young age, very young age, how to pray. And so she'll pray herself. And she's already had experiences that, that have been positive. Uh, so that's been really encouraging to me. And, and it's kind of funny because, you know, I was listening to you on, on the Exit podcast and, 
you know, she, it's so funny because she she believes in fairies and she likes to go out into the woods and make little fairy houses out of, you know, twigs and pine cones and whatnot. Uh, and I don't know if this was a, a good decision or not, but when she was really little, uh, she would do that. And I would go back to the spot in the woods and I'd like leave little notes or little things in there. <laughs> and, and, she, and she's going to listen to this when she's older and she's like, dad, you, you tricked me. Um, but like, so that, that's really sweet. But for Santa Claus, like, you know, we've haven't said there's no Santa, but we also haven't said, oh yeah, of course, Santa's real. Like we haven't said anything, but this last Christmas we were driving and uh, she's like, I know Santa's not real. And I was like, oh, Whoa. you know, like, how'd, how'd you know that? And she's like, well, it just you know, makes sense. I'm like, oh, okay. But then we went to a, a reindeer uh, farm where you got to pet reindeer and there was, of course, a, a Santa guy out there. And she's like, is that the real Santa? <laughs> and, you know, because it was like she was just changing her mind because there's this new evidence. So I and she's like, Dad, go <laughs> ask if that's the real Santa. So I went up to him and like talked to him. And I'm like, hey, my daughter wants to know if you're the real Santa. And he's like, well, this is my first year. So I told her, I'm like, oh, this is his first year, actually. And she's like, oh, it's like the Santa Claus movie. The other one must have died. Like it's the, the Tim Allen, you know, where the yeah. Santa died. And she's like, that makes sense. And she wanted a picture with him. So it, it is really cool to see it and, you know, how, how they transform and, and grow. And, and you're, uh, I can already tell you are going to be a stellar dad. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks. I'm glad you, glad, glad to have a vote of confidence, honestly. Um, yeah, it's interesting too with all like the faith stuff and like, you know, how you pass it on, I guess, because I also feel like I'm kind of in a unique position there because like with all like the investigating and stuff, which is like a huge part of what I do and like my art kind of like weaves in and out of what I'm reading and thinking about, same deal with the comics. It's always like kind of related to like my real life, which is related to what I'm like reading and thinking about. Um, it's kind of interesting because like I'm kind of working backwards where I'm like, okay, I'm like a hundred percent sure that God is real and a few of these other things. And then I'm kind of working backwards. And I think that gives me a kind of foundation to stand on where I'm not really scared of like reading a particular thing or looking into a particular viewpoint and things like that. So it's just another interesting aspect of it that I think about with him and, you know, him growing up and, you know, like you said, asking questions and things like that. Um, you know, you pass on like aspects of yourself, I guess. And I try and think about what like my main foundation is and what I want to impart to him. Um, and it's been a trip. It's only been like I said, like four or five months, but I'm already like laying out the battle plans and I got the huge, you know, map in the closet and everything. So yeah, <laughs> that's it'll awesome. shift. I'll tell you that for sure, because you can have all those plans and, and it seems that they, they take on a characteristic of their own. It's something to, between you and your wife and and somewhere in between that for sure is what the kids are. But I'm curious uh, to go along with, you know, we talked about the path and the journey that you've been on and how it's kind of led to this point. You know, we live in a society that is all about cancel culture. I mean, we even, we even see that they're trying to cancel uh, an entire people because their leader right now is, is not doing the things that everybody agrees with. I mean, it's, it's quite unfortunate and, and people will look back and they'll try to cancel people because they, 23 years ago, they used the N word, but your background, where you've been, your path doesn't necessarily cry Christianity. Um, and in all reality could easily be viewed by some of those that, that, that follow that, that philosophy as a way to cancel and leave you behind as well. 
how, why have you continued to choose to embrace your past? Oh, it's a good question, man. Um, it was a long question. Sorry. No, no. I, I like the deep questions, honestly. That's basically all we've done so far, which is perfect for me. Um, yeah, well, there's a little bit more going on there on my end with regards to that question, because a big part of who I am, actually, someone mentioned it to me, mentioned it to me, there's a comic in the book that's all about this exact topic. Um, because basically, for whatever reason, I really have not sought this position out. I actually really didn't like it for a long time. But like any fringe or weird or really the perfect word would be like third rail topic or ta taboo ideas, not like, like weird, not like weird stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like ideas where it's like, you know, conspiracy theories or, you know, things like that. That's what I'm talking about. Um, or political stuff or, or anything like that, where it's like, oh, it's kind of like third rail. I'm not sure you should touch that. It's kind of like off limits. I'm pretty into it, honestly, like, or at least I've investigated it or poked around there, or I haven't had like a, um, a negative reaction to it. It doesn't mean I adopt those ideas, but I'm like, yeah, I'll check that out. I mean, the example that I often use just because it's kind of an extreme example, example for people is like a few years ago, I guess it was a while ago now, but when like flat earth stuff was like in the media and everything, I was sitting in a living room. Like there was a while where for some reason the news was talking about like people that thought the earth was flat. It's kind of an interesting like news moment. I don't know if you guys remember that, but it really happened. <laughs> and I was sitting in this living room with a few of my friends and you know, it, somehow it came up and it was so funny because we had like totally polarized reactions where I was like, wow, I'm definitely going to look into that. And they were all like, wow, that's so stupid. Like, why would you even waste your time looking into that? And we had just like totally opposite reactions. So it relates to your question because pretty much anything that someone would find like, oh man, like that's kind of weird or only weird people like that. I've probably been in that zone at least for a second. So for me, it's just like, I would have to turn my back on everything I am and like everything I do in like the most basic way to even think about trying to be palatable to <laughs> like the main normal type of person. It's honestly like, so it would be such a radical paradigm shift that I don't even feel like there would be anything left over. Honestly, I really feel like if tomorrow I came into the art studio and I was like, okay, like I'm kind of pandering to weirdos, let's flip the script. And I'll, I want to make sure I'm like, you know, acceptable to like the main normal situation. Like I literally don't even know what would be left. Like my whole thing is kind of just, just going into weird stuff and being who I am. And such a large part of it is about not fitting in with that sort of narrative and being out of step with like the general kind of zeitgeist is really the perfect word being out of step with the zeitgeist in general that it was really never even a question i would never even think of of changing it or changing anything like that oh also wait so the real you that's kind of like a you yes why specifically also though it's kind of like i really reject this um this concept so this guy i think his name is robert lifton wrote a book called um, The Psychology of Totalism. It's a study of brainwashing in mainland China. That's like the subtitle. And I took away a few ideas from it, but one of the main ones is just like the basic idea of like what I would call, I guess what he would call like psychological totalism, which I guess I kind of crudely used to point to like this idea of like, you know, if you don't have like the right opinion or view on something, you're just done. Like, that's it. It's game over. So like the totalism is like referring to like in totality, not like totalitarianism. It's like totalism in the sense of like, you have to align on like a hundred out of a hundred points. 
And I really just totally reject that. It was really like a painful aspect of my own life because when I didn't align with the people around me, my whole life basically like completely fell apart, like a hundred percent, um, which was really crazy and difficult and everything. Um, so I also have to like reject it in principle. I reject that. Like I really try every day and especially being online, like never to enforce that where it's like, if you don't align with me on X, Y, and Z, I kind of can't associate with you or I can't, you know, do X, Y, or Z with you. You know, I'll do someone's book cover and someone will contact me and say, oh, you know, you shouldn't do this guy's book cover because, you know, if it's a good reason, I'll take a good reason. But, you know, usually it's like, look, man, I don't do that. Like I don't ever enforce that kind of like psychological totalism. So that's another reason why. Um, the third reason, I guess I'm kind of giving you a long answer, but it's a complicated question is that I also just feel like part of the reason why I started broadcasting my thoughts online and what I do is that I was in like a really extreme bubble where everyone's telling you that you're like a freak or like a hateful, crazy person, or maybe you're just like a weirdo or whatever. And I really feel like just being honest about it and saying, you know, even if you're wrong about stuff, like nothing's like wrong with you, you know, you're going to keep developing. Like we've been saying, like, I feel like I noticed, you know, it's maybe tangentially related to what you're saying, but that kind of attitude kind of forces people like into these pockets where it doesn't really get better. Like, let's say I turn my back on, you know, we're talking about the spiritual past. Let's say I turn my back on that. And I was like, okay, anyone, like if I see someone following my Twitter account, that's into like ceremonial magic or something, I'll just block them. Like, I'm not associating with anything like that. Well, like what's going to happen when I block them, then they're just not going to hear what I think or what I have to say. And they're just going to keep doing what they're doing. So like on no level for me, does it like add up or make sense for me to kind of just like pretend it didn't happen or try and like cut the ties hard or like, you know, that's basically my answer to that. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I'm a firm believer that all opinions need to be expressed good and bad, uh, hateful or, and loving. doesn't matter. I, you know, I, I honestly believe that having the opinions out there will allow people to decipher what's true and be able to weed out what's not. Yeah. And I have gotten, I guess, I guess now that you mentioned, it, I kind of have gotten some like pushback about stuff like that. Like, I used to be into psychedelics. Oddly, I do talk about how they're like, <laughs> I really think they're bad now, obviously. But I have gotten some pushback from some people who were like, you know, that guy's just kind of like a crazy weirdo. Like he says he's Christian, but he's not really like, don't, don't, you know, get involved with that guy. But I kind of just write it off. It's the internet. Internet's a really wide, like lateral place. So, you know. You know, you're, you're so well-spoken as well. Like I, I can just listen to you for hours and, and I have, you know, like, like today, <laughs> like I, I've listened to the, uh, to the exit podcast you're on, uh, like four times, you know, oh, really it's, nice, yeah, it's just, cool. it's really fun. And I, I liked your answer, uh, to Tom's question. He, Tom has the best questions and it reminded me, we were talking about Joseph Smith. So yeah, after he had his vision, he, he goes on to say, uh, you know, that he was forbidden to join any of the rel religious sects of the day and being of very tender years and persecuted by those who ought to have been my friends and to have treated me kindly. And if they supposed me to be deluded, to have endeavored in a proper and affectionate manner to have reclaimed me. Like that's a, a pretty normal thing. Uh, last year, I, I tweeted out that uh, pornography makes you gay. And my uh, best friend's wife saw that on Twitter. And then I got 
uh, text message from my best friend and, and uh, another one of our friends. And they said that they can't be friends with me anymore. And that was it. And we've been friends for 20 years and it was just based off of that one tweet. So that was uh, pretty funny, you know, and especially because, you know, I had listened to them because very different politically uh, and, and spiritually. And I had sat through, you know, them making fun of my religion for years. Uh, but I was still their friend. I said, you know, I still love them. So it, it's just, it's interesting to see, you know, and it, and I think that it's a really good opportunity for us to not you know, respond in kind when people write us off or dismiss us or persecute us uh, for, for any reason. And I think you're a really good example of that. And especially because, you know, what, what you're doing is uh, really good. I mean, you're, you're bringing good stuff into the world. Uh, your, your drawings in particular, they're, you know, they're funny, they're intelligent, they're uh, pleasing to the eye, you know, they're whimsical, they're, they're cute. I love the one in, in the book where the, these two guys are sitting at the table and one's like, everybody lies. And the other guy's like, yeah, it's like our government. Yeah. And teachers. Yeah. And the media. And then the guy's like, even scientists lie. And the other guy like stabs them, you know? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. It, it, that's what it almost feels like. But uh, I, I'm curious, how have your mediums changed? You know, did you start out, you know, pencil and paper have you gone you know more digital i know you've talked about painting a lot yeah for physical media yeah it's interesting well i for a long time i was um by the way i i, I feel bad that happened with your friend you know it's a whole other thing but i'm very acquainted with that i feel like it's part of my obsession with worldviews is like being vexed and trying to figure out like why those things happen so i totally totally sympathize um Anyway, though, as for like physical media stuff, um, yeah, I really didn't do anything digital for most of my art life. I just didn't really vibe with it, for lack of a better term. Um, part of my art background that would be relevant there is so I, I mentioned doing the classical training, which is like, you know, charcoal and oil painting and stuff like that. Um, eventually, I kind of gravitated away from that. Each art medium media, media, I guess I should say, meaning in case people don't know, like the physical actual, like what it is like watercolor or oil paint or, you know, ink and paper or something really fits a time and place and situation. I think that's kind of why I gravitated away from oil painting because, you know, unless you're selling paintings to a gallery or getting shows in a museum, like it just is kind of like out of context for the life that I was le le leading, I guess you could say. Um, so I floated for a while doing all different kinds of things. The main place that I landed was, so I mentioned being into religious art and Buddhism. A big part of that was Tibetan art. And I actually, it's kind of a weird story. I'll tell this story actually, it's pretty cool. So I was working in this art store and uh, this, this woman comes in, right? I guess I shouldn't say too much about her. It doesn't really matter, but just the woman comes in and she's like, hey, um, do you know, uh, if you have any glues that are just animal glues here, like with no uh, artificial materials or anything. And I'm like, that's a really weird question. Why are you asking me that? But I don't know. And she's like, well, you know, this guy I'm with is like a master Tibetan painter and uh, he needs glue that's like, it's just from animals. So it doesn't like degrade over time. 
and I met this guy and uh, I got to study with him for a minute. It was only for like a month or two. So I'm not trying to make myself sound too cool, but it really got me really into Tibetan art. And that was really the context that I made art in for a long time. Context in the sense of like, if someone hasn't made visual art before, you might've not thought of it. But like when you sit down at the surface that you're working on, there's like a ton of like meta variables. Like in a Renaissance painting, it's like you're looking into a window and it's 3D and there's lighting and shadows and everything. But in like a medieval painting, you can kind of imagine in your mind, usually it's almost like flat, right? So that's like a weird meta variable. And there's tons of different things like that you have to think about how the materials are affecting the picture you're making. So I started using this paint called gouache that's not very common. It's opaque watercolor, um, which means that it dries not clear and it kind of has like a chalky finish to it. It's basically the paint that's the most similar to what would have been in use in medieval times. So in medieval everywhere, just kind of pan, you could go from like Ireland all the way to like into like Eastern Asia and stuff. Well, let's say like Western Asia. But the point is that people would just crush up pigments. They would crush up colored stuff, put it in some kind of glue. Sometimes they would literally use egg. It's called egg tempera. And they would just apply it to a board or a piece of paper or something like that. And it has kind of like a chalky finish to it. It's like the look for like medieval manuscripts and things like that. If you imagine like a medieval manuscript painting in your mind, that's the kind of paint they were using. They weren't using oil paint in case people don't know. So the point is that, yeah, I kind of gravitated towards that and used that as my medium. And it really affected my style times like a million. That's really like the basis for almost everything I do. Because when you're using that kind of paint, it dries super, super, super quickly. So next time someone's looking at medieval art or something like that, if you get up really close to it, like let's say you look at someone's face or maybe like the wings of a dragon or armor or something, it's not going to be blended like a Photoshop gradient because the paint dries so fast. You could literally take the brush and mark it on a piece of paper and just sit there and you could watch it dry. It dries like almost instantly. So that affects the way that you're making a picture. Now, if you're making like a sunset, let's say, you can't blend the paint. So you have to literally take like, let's say pink and put down a layer of pink and then mix in a little blue and then put, put you know, a line of blue above it and then put a line of red above it. All the colors are like separate. It's like chunky almost, if that makes sense as opposed to something like oil paint or watercolor or something like that. So that really was like the visual context I was working in for a long time. And it's also just relevant to the question because the strength there is like the power of the colors. If you go to an art store and buy some expensive, nice paint like that, there's literally almost nothing else like it when you physically look at it in real life. That's part of why painting is so intoxicating and stress relieving. Um, it's also, you know, you're getting like precious metals in there, like, the paints I have sitting right here, like they have cadmium in them. You know, cadmium is like basically poisonous, but you use it because there's nothing else that gives you those bright, warm reds and oranges and yellows. So it's just relevant to the question because when I tried to port over to digital, you can imagine, I'm like, dude, what am I doing? Like now I can't lean into this, you know, insanely bright red color, which I was using as like my basis. I'm like on a computer and I'm just looking at pixels. Um, sometimes the analogy I use is it's kind of like you can imagine you've been playing grand piano on this like, you know, 300 year old epic grand piano and then someone gives you a synthesizer and you're like, dude, this is similar, but it's actually not the same at all. And it took me a long time to get comfortable doing what I do digitally and to figure out, oh, like, what can I lean on? Like, what am I using? Um, I would imagine that people that don't do art maybe have not considered that like, 
you kind of use the strengths of the materials in a very particular way that I'm not sure has an analogy to other art forms. Like a Japanese painter, the reason like if you think of Japanese art, it's like ink washes on like paper and stuff. When you see it in person and you see the paper, it's not like printer paper. It looks like really good. And he's leaning into the paper because when you're standing there looking at the paper, it's like incredible just looking at like how white and soft it is. Um, the ink is like really, really black, which sounds kind of dumb, but then it makes sense. You're sitting there, you're like, well, what are the strengths of these materials? I'm going to lean into those strengths. It's going to affect my work, obviously. So long story short, it took me probably like two years or more to, to make digital things and say, okay, yeah, this looks good. I think a lot of the inroad for that for me, honestly, was like making memes and stuff, which sounds really unrelated to it, but somehow that let me get comfortable in like, the colors and forms of photoshopping and digital world. And then it got easier to import my past knowledge of colors and painting and things like that. Um, so it's kind of a long road. I guess that's, that's kind of like a long answer. But even now when I'm working, I am basing what I do in my knowledge of like classical pigments and things like that. So like, for example, I was just coloring a comic and I'm like, oh, this guy's shirt's gonna be red but I'm not just going into Photoshop and like arbitrarily selecting a red. I'm taking a red and in my mind, I'm thinking it's like vermilion. There's a painting color called vermilion. Or if I'm making the sky blue, I'm not just going into Photoshop and like arbitrarily selecting a blue. I'm thinking, oh, it'll be a blue like when you mix like cerulean blue with white and I can see it in my mind and I choose that color. And when I veer too far away from that, it gets in my world like sloppy. <laughs> like I always have to have the basis of the actual real life colors. Um, so I could go on, but that's, that's basically kind of the answer. It's like based in the physical materials. There also is like a secondary component where whenever I do something digitally, I am thinking of a real world art analog. So like, that sounds very abstract, but an example is I did this print that's about how to pray the rosary. And for the decorations on it, I imagine that it would be like a woodcut, like in medieval times and, and now too. You know, you literally carve into wood and make a stamp and that's how they would do early printmaking. So I made it in my mind. I'm like, oh, this is kind of like a woodcut. Later, I did something else and I was like, oh, this will be like a silkscreen print. So I'm always making the analogy to physical real world art practices and media that I have experience with. And that's kind of like the basis for me operating to continue the analogy in the synthesizer world. Like I'm using a synthesizer but I'm thinking of, oh, I used to play the clarinet. I'll use this sound. Oh, I used to play the trumpet. I'll use this sound. Um, so even though it's digital, it's based in my experience with like real physical media. Do you think that's something that's very exclusive to you or is that a pretty common thing? Honestly, man, I don't know. I don't know. I have a very unique background in terms of physical art that I've done and engaged with. I suppose that's true for every person, every person's background is unique, but I spent so much time with the Tibetan and Central Asian art, like thinking about it every day and going to places where I could see it in person. That has a whole other, you know, that's a whole other road we could go down where like, you know, it's a very unique visual situation where it's kind of flat, but it's also 3D and the level of detail and colors, like we could, we could, we could go down that road. Um, but then also I've done like different printmaking things like that. I, when I used to apply for jobs that were related to art on my resume, I would say I basically have experience with every two-dimensional art making practice, except photography. 
I don't know how common it is or how much people draw on it for the digital art world. I couldn't say because I'm kind of isolated now from the art world, thankfully, but uh, I don't know. It's probably uncommon only because in art school, it's kind of rare to hit all those different physical mediums unless you really seek it out, which a lot of people don't. This is just my opinion now. Um, so yeah, I guess, I guess maybe it is rare. Yeah. Maybe not though. I can't say. That's really cool. You know, and I think that's impressive is your adaptability. Like, you know, I, I just do, you know, pen and, and ink drawings, not, nothing fancy, uh, but there's this company GM dice, you know, they, they make uh, candles and, and uh, Dungeons and Dragons dice, and, and they've asked for some drawings that they've put on, on their candles and, and for some of their other products. Oh, cool. And, yeah. So it was a real honor, but like, I don't even know how to color them. So I'd like send them these drawings and then they have someone who, who will colorize them. Uh, but I, I feel handicapped almost. And, and my wife, you know, she got me uh, like this iPad and procreate and all this digital stuff. And like, I'm like, I have to charge this pencil and it's like, I'm drawing, you know, so it's like, I haven't even tried to get into that. So I'm really impressed. And, and your artwork is amazing. It's so unique. And uh, channel one is, is doing really well. Um, right when it came out, I mean, it was like, top three in its category, right? Yeah, the book's been doing well. It's pretty flattering, honestly. It's funny because I have no idea what it's like being on like the other side of the like screen from me, obviously. But on my end, like I just kind of show up in my like little art studio and like do my thing. Um, I, I still, I guess I am, but I still just feel like it's like kind of just me and like my friends online. <laughs> I guess I just have more friends now, we can put it that way. But yeah, it was doing, it's doing really well. I'm actually, I don't want to jinx it, but it's, it's cool. It's cool. On Amazon, you can see the rank that your book is at, which is in and of itself interesting. When I first dropped it, I cracked like top 10,000 books on Amazon for like a day or two or three. And I was like, this is obviously a mistake. You know, there's like millions of books there. I think I was ranked like 7,000 or 7,500 or something, which was crazy. But now I've stayed in the top 100 or 200 in my section for a while now. It's, it's pretty cool. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, the caveat to that is it's kind of like those snapshots. It's like, I kind of tell people, it's like they clock how fast you're driving down the highway it's not how far you've gone, it's how fast you're going. So I think if like they take the snapshot right when someone buys like 10 books, it like rockets me ahead really far, but it's still, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. And yeah, the response to it's been really great, man. It's weird because um, there's a story I heard somewhere where this LA radio DJ one time said something like, you know, oh, let's all go put like plastic forks on the mayor's lawn, you know? And then people actually did it. And then he apologized and he was like, honestly, I just kind of forgot that people are actually listening to me. Like I just show up in the studio and talking to this microphone. Like I didn't really ever think that would actually happen. And in a way I kind of feel that way. Like people send me the pictures of themselves with the book or, or more kind of sweetly, I guess you could say. They're like, oh, I got my boyfriend, you know, your book and he really loved it. Or like, oh, like my girlfriend and I, the, the, the most interesting ones are like when people are like, yeah, my girlfriend and I like both really like your art. So like we got your book and we read it like, I'm like, cool, Owen Cyclops couple out there, somewhere out there. But yeah, the response has been great. People respond a lot to a few of the comics in particular. I think mostly the ones that are 
aside from all of them, obviously, which is great. <laughs> I think the ones in particular are the ones about like dealing with certain things that most people have dealt with in some way, probably split between the one about, you know, dealing with like people alienating you or feeling alienated because of weird ideas. And there's a longer one in there about like sex and pornography that I've gotten a lot of like really um, like special responses to, I guess you could say. So yeah, it's been cool, man. It's, it's been really awesome. It's been really great. The response to it is like the best part for sure. I love that, you know, and, and my copy is in the mail and for everyone listening, I mean, th this needs to go on your shelf. This needs to be uh, on, on your coffee table. Uh, you know, my father-in-law, he really likes the, uh, the Calvin and Hobbes, you know, and, and people have like, you know, those old school far side comics or, or whatever. And like those, those big uh, anthologies, but, but this needs to uh, replace entirely you know or or at the very least you know just uh go alongside them and it's awesome it, your style is is so unique and what would you say to to people uh who might not have gone to art school but might be interested in drawing but don't think they're very good uh, what would you say to them oh such a good question dude um yeah. Last thing about the book I'll say though, is that, so if some people don't know who I am or anything, we obviously you're here, you know, you made it this far through the podcast, but one thing I'm really proud of about the physical book itself is like, I really pride myself on being a weird person and it is like a unique artifact. So I just kind of like to plug it that way. It's like, if you put it in your house, there's really not, it's like a weird special artifact. It's my disorganized plug. Anyway, though, um, people who are interested in art and maybe don't feel like they're that great at it, yeah, you know, I made this comic once that was about like still life drawing. It actually is still on my site. It's about like classical still life drawing. People do contact me and, and ask me things like that. It's a mix of directions to go from there. I really like encouraging people to draw and be creative. The way I sometimes phrase it, if I'm talking to, to people is even if you don't think you're going to do anything with it, it still is a way to exercise this totally different part of your mind that I really think literally anyone could benefit from. It's kind of like if you imagine someone learned to play piano, even if they're not going to do anything with it, it probably opened up different parts of their mind and different ways of thinking. Drawing is like that. And since it's my own medium, I feel like it's even more like that. I wouldn't know. I don't play piano, but we are really visual creatures and we experience the world visually. Um, even our language reflects that, you know, like we always use visual terms to describe clarity of thought, even, even clarity of thought. Clarity is like a visual thing. It means it's clear, but we intuitively relate our thoughts to it because we're such visual creatures. I was talking to someone today and they said, you know, the, the language he used was very opaque. You know, we just naturally speak visually because we're so visual. So my point being that when you enhance the part of your brain that goes from your eye to like the thinky part of your brain to your hands, you really are going deeper into something that is fundamentally human and fundamental to like the human experience. So that's kind of why I often push it on people. There's a few different roads you can go down there. There is like classical drawing and things like that. I like to plug that because I think people don't really know how much that's missing from our general perception of art and general art education. Obviously I'm a very analogy heavy person and I often use like musical analogies, but 
the state of like art education just in general, even if you're not going to art school, even if you're just like, I kind of want to learn how to draw, let me poke into that world. It's sort of like the state that we're in sort of like as a little civilizational situation. It's like if someone heard like John Coltrane and like really crazy jazz and they were like, oh, I want to do that. But instead of studying scales and how to actually play the instrument and everything, they just kind of picked up a saxophone and like tried to do it. Um, art education in general is kind of like that. There's this whole domain of learning how to draw, like learning how to play the piano that I think most people don't know exists. I think most people think, well, you're either good at it or you're not. That's basically it. But you really can learn the techniques and learn how to do it in a very tangible step-by-step -step way, wherein anyone can learn how to do it proficiently. Um, I used to go to fancy word alert, um, an atelier that's like a classical drawing studio, basically. And, you know, there, any person, any person, doesn't matter who they are, literally anyone could go in and be instructed and start painting, you know, still lives of fruit and landscape scenes and things that would blow someone away. Because if you start at square one, learn how to do X, learn how to do Y, you can learn how to do it. So I just like saying that because, like I said, I think a lot of people are stuck in this box of like, well, I'm not good at it. I don't have the gift. That's it, basically. Um, there is a book called Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain that I really, really recommend people a lot um, because it's one of the main obstacles in drawing. I'm trying not to give a rambly answer, but it's kind of a big answer, but like, I feel like it's, it's worth it. One of the main obstacles in drawing that hooks back into what I said before about enhancing your perception and thinking of your perception and everything is the way that you think things look because of what you know about them isn't how they actually look. So to make that not abstract, if you imagine a dice or a die, let's say if you imagine a cube in your mind, you know that the cube is squares and right angles, right? But if you take your pen, you can even do it right now if you have a pen and try and draw a cube, you need to use lines that aren't squares or right angles. So you kind of have to contradict what your mind knows about something. And that's kind of why a lot of people get stuck in this childlike phase of drawing. That's actually, this actually is why, because in their mind, they're like, well, I know eyes are like almond shaped, right? But then when they draw their wife or their kid and put almond shaped eyes in, it looks like a little kid's drawing. It's because you're going off of what's in your mind, not what you're seeing and cutting that wire and starting to draw what you're seeing instead of what's in your mind, what you think you're seeing is the biggest gap for people to get over. And there's a book called Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain that's all about that. It's all about severing that cord and letting you actually draw what you're seeing. Um, I had this really interesting moment with that book. I read it when I was like an early teenager, but I was drawing people and I was drawing people's ears, almost like um, if you imagine like a like I was kind of putting this, just this indent in like the center of people's ears, because I guess I just thought that's how ears were shaped. And I was doing the book exercises in the book. And I had this epiphany moment of like, whoa, that's not how ears are shaped. I'm literally just imagining in my mind that I know how they're shaped, but they're not. And I was like punctured through this huge wall. So anyway, drawing on the right side of the brain and getting over that hurdle is uh, a really good book. And then there's the whole other side of it, which is the actual creative side and being creative and things like that. Um, one of the main things I would recommend there, of course, no one can like teach you how to do that. That doesn't mean you can't do it, but you kind of do have to like figure it out yourself. Um, 
But one of the main things I would recommend there where anyone could start getting way better at drawing, even without hitting all the heady weird stuff I just mentioned, is keeping a sketchbook. If you have a sketchbook, my advice there is getting a plain notebook so people won't see it and be like, oh, you're keeping a sketchbook? Can I look in there? Because that makes you embarrassed then. But just getting a plain notebook and with pen, drawing stuff around you whenever you have like 30 seconds to five or 10 minutes. Um, I recommend people do it in pen because the one road that I just spent possibly too long <laughs> explaining on one side is about drawing things how they are, making it realistic. But on the other side of being creative, you have to kind of um, engage with the materials and recognize, you know, you're not drawing a photograph, you're drawing like a creative drawing. So when you're using a pen, one that's not pressure sensitive, so not like a ballpoint pen, but like a rolly pen or like any pen where it's not that if you press harder, it's darker. So does that make sense? Any like normal pen kind of, it forces you to translate the visual information in front of you into some type of like symbolic visual language. So if you're drawing like your baby, you can't draw it how it really is because you're holding a pen. You're not gonna end up with a photo. So you have to make decisions of like, well, I guess I'll put some lines here and kind of shade in this shadow or maybe I'll put some dots or maybe I'll... So that's kind of my long answer there, but I think, it's, I think it's a pretty good answer. But those would be my two things. On the one hand, studying how drawing actually works. On the other hand, keeping a sketchbook, drawing things around you and the pen and the sketchbooking develops confidence. That's like the last thing I'll say. I could literally probably talk about this for like way too long. Maybe I already have, but... One other tip that I give people when they're first starting out, maybe like the main tip is what people respond to in art is confident decisions. If you're making a picture and in your mind, let's say you're drawing like the stripe on someone's shirt and you're like, oh, is it, I don't know, how do I, uh, that's how it's gonna look. It's gonna literally look like that sounds. But if you go for it and you're like, bam, that's how it is. People will respond to that confidence. So. That's my, that's my like little plug. I'm not sure if that was too long, but that's like, if people hit me up and they ask me that, that's kind of the main one, two punch. And that's yeah. amazing. The parallels with, with, with normal life though, man, the, you know, seeing things, how they really are and, you know, doing it with confidence and, and, it, and studying it and, and understanding. And that, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, it's crazy the reverberations. Thanks. I'm glad you like my answer. Um, yeah, it's crazy the reverberations back into other fields, other ways of thinking. You know, it just like stacks like crazy. So yeah, I mean, it's like the main way that I kind of live and have like a spiritual life is through my art. Um, it kind of goes back to the first question you asked me, but it's perfect actually, where you said, you know, does the art influence the ideas or the ideas influence the art? But once you go further into it, it's like, these are both completely enmeshed actually for the reason the that you the answer just is yes. Yeah. The answer yeah. is yes. <laughs> you know, I, I really, really liked that answer. It was a perfect answer, you know, and like I said, you can talk forever and I, I, I love listening to you, Owen. We've got a, a couple questions from the interwebs. Oh, perfect. And uh, this is actually a fun one. This is from aesthetic fanatic. Uh, super cool dude. Definitely got to follow him. So he asks, what are your thoughts on Nephilim? And for the, our listeners who might not know, Nephilim in the Hebrew Bible uh, are these uh, beings that are giants, uh, you know, large in stature and, and strong. So do you have any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, that's an interesting one. Uh, 
you can say it both ways. I usually say Nephilim, but I mispronounce a lot of words. So I'm just going to roll with it. Oh, no, um, that sounds better. Oh, let's go with that. <laughs> but yeah, so when someone asks me about that, the first place my mind goes is kind of like the book of Enoch. Um, in case people don't know, of course, it's not in the Bible. It's been a minute since I hardcore poked into that stuff, but I think the book of Enoch is mentioned in the Bible, although it's not in the Bible. I could be wrong about that. Um, but it basically part of it describes to like dumb it down a little bit, maybe this situation where like, I think you kind of just touched on it, but like the watchers is like, I kind of think of them as like a low ranking cast of angels, um, lust after the daughters of men and kind of, so you just said it like a race of giants. And so like a half human, half kind of divine, like hybrid situation. Um, you know, honestly, the main thing that I think about that is that it's just interesting because I go into a lot of thoughts about like spiritual warfare today and how it manifests and demonic activity. Obviously, I think demons are real. Duh. Um, it's interesting because there is something in like the general demonic world of varying phenomena that has to do with like the human genes and kind of changing or mingling with or like corrupting like the human DNA and genes situation. And I think getting confirmation of the fact that that's a thing so far back just kind of reinforces it for me. You know, like you get, you start making some weird connections where it's like in UFO stuff, there's often like a sexual dimension, um, human hybrids with varying creatures and things like that. So I don't really have any like hardcore like conclusions there. But for me, it's confirmation that a trend exists. And it's probably one of the earliest data points of that. That trend, just to be clear, being there's something up with mingling human genes or trying to change them or something in the demonic realm. In like the more, I guess I'll lovingly use this term, but like kind of crazy zones, you do get theories about like, well, you know, like in Genesis, let's say there's the prophecy or statement really that, you know, um, a, a, the child of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. Well, if maybe if you change the genes, it wouldn't really be like a human. And then the demons could kind of like get around this like loophole or something. I don't necessarily subscribe to that, but it's kind of just a weird, interesting note. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I see that. It's like an interesting data point in the large map of trends. That's really cool. Yeah. And, you know, talk, talking about that uh, and the prophet Enoch uh, as well, if you haven't got a chance, definitely uh, read what's called the Pearl of Great Price. And that is uh, from, from Joseph Smith when he began his translation uh, of the Bible, of the Old Testament. Uh, so what now constitutes most of, of the beginning of Genesis he actually got a whole new book. That's the the book of Moses, and, and there it talks about the giants uh, and, and Enoch in in greater detail than than what we have just in, in the in the Old Testament. So, and that that's a quick read too. So there's some cool stuff in there, and I actually like that. So that em at the end is plural. We see that in a lot of Hebrew words: Elohim, Seraphim, uh, and the Nephilim, and it's cool because. Uh, there's a character uh, in the Book of Mormon right at the beginning, uh, a young man named Nephi, which is the beginning of that that word. And 
uh, he is described as, you know, even though he's very young, he's large in stature and strong. So I wonder if, you know, if he was born big or if that was just, you know, it's like naming your kid Thor, you know, well, you know, that you, yeah, yeah you, you know, your kid's going to be uh, cool if they're named Thor or whatever. So yeah, that's a funny parallel. Yeah, I did read the Pearl of Great Price. I read the Book of Mormon last summer also, actually. Uh, oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I got, I went like pretty hard on it and read a bunch of stuff. I'm actually reading some books kind of like in that domain right now. Um, it's kind of like a, I guess you could say like I, I hit it on like the road, but then I was like, Oh, I'm going to pull off here for a minute. So uh, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome, man. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Well, I think that's, that's a good answer and definitely a lot to think about and, and talking about that spiritual war- warfare that kind of ties into our next question uh, from at Arizona first, what kind of unseen influence is my exposure to the internet and modern media having on my psyche slash spirit? And how do I resolve this without becoming a hermit? What is a healthy relationship with modern technology? It's a good question. That's a really good question. I know that guy, Arizona first. Nice. Um, Yeah. Well, I mean, modern media would encompass like TV and movies and stuff like that. In that domain, I have been, uh, I guess you wouldn't call it a hermit because those are one way media outlets, but I pretty much don't watch like TV or movies or anything like that. I might watch like documentaries or if my wife like honestly really pushes for something, I'll watch it with her. But uh, I haven't been in modern media world for a really long time. I don't know if it was because of spiritual reasons initially, but, you know, folding back into all the art stuff, I noticed pretty early on that like anything I put in my brain, actually, this is directly relevant to the question. Anything that I put in my mind affects the art that I'm doing. And that I think maybe got me woke to policing what goes in my brain a little bit earlier on the curve than I probably would have. Like, I feel that way and practice my life that way to a degree that most people would probably call like slightly insane. Like I don't let anything in my mind that I don't want to come through in the art to the point where like, like right now I'm working on this calendar. It's kind of more complicated than that, but that's basically what it is. And I'm sitting here and it's taking like hours and hours and hours and hours just to get through small portions of it. And normally maybe I would have, you know, like some music or something on but it's going to affect the work that I'm doing. So I'm just literally sitting here like in silence, like ticking away at this like project. But anyway, the point is that, yeah, I really do think anything you put in your mind like drastically affects how you are and what you're thinking more than even the craziest person would think. Um, I think I noticed that also because I only put so little in, honestly, that's not books uh, or lectures or debates or music or something that when I do watch something or watch a movie or something, I really feel it like stick deep in there and affect my thoughts for like days and days after. So being, you know, cautious and scared of, frankly, like scared of that stuff is like very wise. Um, the internet is more of an interesting question because I really feel the good and bad sides of the internet, like a hundred percent. I feel the negative sides, which are obvious, but I really do feel the positive sides also very, very strongly, you know, I mean, in a way, not in a way, but a hundred percent, I would not be who I am without the internet. That's just a given period. Um, so it's a little bit more complicated there. Cause you know, he said, no, don't want to be a hermit. You know, you could just like unplug it forever. People do that. Um, and the internet has sort of a life of its own that you take on just by being there, you know, 
and like policing that and being aware of that gets pretty complicated pretty quickly. Um, I, my wife always jokes that like my workplace is like the internet, which is kind of true. Um, I myself haven't even fully mastered that. I mean, I like to think that I have, but I think that maybe the answer probably is honestly just being like very scared and cautious of it. Maybe even a little bit more than you think that you should is probably like my off the cuff answer because it probably is affecting you more than you think it does. And that doesn't mean like smash the button and turn it off, but you know, we're not made to live in like, everyone here knows this, but we're not made to live in like this reading arguments on a tablet screen 24 seven all the time, you know, like everyone's had like extremely bizarre moments like that. Like, you know, like I'm sitting at breakfast with my wife and my baby and you know, I'm reading an argument two people are having about, let's say like, whatever, like gun control or something like it's, it's, it's not like a natural situation. <laughs> yeah. And I think just like keeping that in mind, you know, people tend to normalize whatever their situation is day to day. Um, yeah. but I do feel the positive aspects of it too. So, uh, that's kind of my, my answer probably is just to be paranoid, <laughs> just to be paranoid about it. I, I think that's a great answer. I mean, it's, it's like the ocean. I love the ocean. I swim in the ocean every chance I get, you know, I, I like fishing. I like, you know, going out on kayaks on the ocean, whatever, but I could 100% drowned, you know, I could 100% get eaten by a Leviathan, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, just, just being smart. I think that's really good advice. You know, and, and honestly, I, I recommend doing a little bit of cleanse. If you're worried about, it. just don't watch TV for a week. Just like, you know, don't go on social media for a week and then see how you feel. Uh, the average American spends 15 to 23 years in front of the television in their lifetime. Whoa, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. And like for some people, you know, everyone's on like a, a, a spectrum of engaging with it. Like some people maybe do watch like TV every day or something like that. I don't really like throw shade at anyone everyone has their own like situation um but it's interesting because you mentioned like you know stepping away from it i used to be that guy who always had like huge massive headphones on and i used to listen to music literally like 24 7 and one day they broke and for some reason i just didn't listen to music for like a month or two after that i was just like whatever and i noticed that when i came back to it it was like ten thousand times more intense it's probably like somewhat obvious, but when I think about that in relation to movies and media, it's just kind of interesting. You know, like when I watch a movie, it really affects me. Um, so it's an interesting thing to think about for sure. Yeah, I, I, I think that that's a, a great example. You know, my, my dad, he, he always says he likes to listen to his own brain, you know, so he never has headphones in, you know, or when he'd go running or, or working out. I think that's really cool. You know, I, I do landscaping for a living and, and sometimes I, I just won't have my headphones on. So I'll be mowing a lawn and I'm like, oh, this is weird, you know, and it's just like uh, having some some time to yourself. And and you're such a respectful guy. Yeah, of course, not not denigrating uh, anyone's uh, choice of of media or or how they use it. But I, I think that you have to balance that with creation and consumption. You know, we, we consume so much. And, and people who, who could get a lot out of drawing, for example, or playing an instrument or even making a movie, you know, like we're, we're talking here now uh, by virtue of the internet and, and we're creating something that'll hopefully help someone else out. Talking with you certainly helps me 
uh, and I know Tom as well. And so, yeah, it, it definitely has a lot of, of good uses too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, do you have something, Tom? You look okay. Oh, awesome. Thank you. you. You always have such good questions. I, I feel bad stepping on your toes. Um, well, this has been awesome, Owen. Uh, before we sign off, uh, wh where can people find you? How, how can they support you? Uh, how can they uh, learn from you? Oh, thanks, man. Well, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm glad you guys feel that way about what I do. And yeah, this has been really, really, really fun, man. I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, okay, where I'm putting like my professional hat back on, which is not really a thing you know, here in the studio. <laughs> um, people finding me and what I do. So the main the main hub is Twitter. If you're on Twitter and you follow me, you're not going to miss anything there. That's like the main spot right now. Um, my at is at Owen Broadcast. It's the same thing on Instagram. I'm also on Tumblr and Gab. I always say this, but I'm, I feel like I'm one of the only people posting on Tumblr and Gab simultaneously <laughs> probably, but I just try and get the vibe out to anyone that's out there. Um, so it's Owen Broadcast across the board all there. Uh, my website's owencyclops.com. I sell like shirts and prints and stuff like that. But the main thing is the book. And if you made it this far, I'm going to pretty confidently say that you would like the book. Honestly, I'm pretty, pretty confident there. It's on Amazon. It's also linked to on like all my social media platforms and everything. It's called Channel One. It's like 250 pages. It's all the comics I made up until my wife got pregnant. So it's the whole first chapter of my life that you can put on your shelf in an easy, convenient format. <laughs> awesome. Well, this is, has been great. Thank you so much, Owen. And, and I can't wait to see, see more of your work. I, I, the first thing I saw you had done was the, uh, the cover for uh, Draw Me a Gorilla, which is awesome. Oh, cool. Cool. Um, yeah, and it sounds like you're, you're cooking up stuff. Are you, are you making new stuff every day or, or, or what's oh, the- dude. Um, Oh, dude. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I never, I never plug this aspect of what I do, but if anyone's super interested or it's also just relevant to your question, I have a Patreon where I show people what's going on behind the scenes, um, same name and username and everything. But it's relevant because, yeah, dude, like I honestly, I never really say this, but I go so, I go so hard, man. Like that's like from the moment I wake up, you guys know, you guys are passionate about stuff. From like the moment I wake up to the moment I go to sleep, I'm thinking about what I'm, what I can do here, what I'm doing, how I'm reading, fitting in with the comics, planning out things. So like, yeah, I have a bunch of stuff. This month I'm going to drop this, uh, project that I guess I'll tease it. It's kind of like maybe a mix of like theology and a calendar, but not in the way that it sounds mysterious plug, but I've been working on it for like over a year. It's, it's completely insane. It's consumed like so many hours of my life. And then on the Patreon, even just the last like few months, man, I feel like I've got between like 20 and 40 pages of comics done. It's I'm going hard over here. So yeah, I have a lot of stuff. I feel like right now it's like, uh, again, the music analogy, it's like my band like just got signed and it's about to like, you know, the band's going to make it, but like, I feel like maybe it actually will. So that's like where I am in the arc of the uh, art trajectory. Things are, things are happening over here for sure. Man, that's awesome. And, and you know, I, I want to say this earlier, but you know, I, I, I write books and, and so I'm kind of a word guy and I, I love the text in your com in your comics as well. They're, they're, uh, it, it, it's really well done. And I, I love drawing as a word because you, you draw water from a well, you draw poison from a wound, you know, you, uh, there's a book called drawing on the powers of heaven, you know, and I think that 
those are all things you can do through actual drawing. You know, if you're thirsty, you know, drink water, obviously, but draw, you know, if you're poisoned, you know, get better, but draw. And, you know, if you want God in your life, draw. Wow. That's epic. You kind of just blew my mind a little bit. I'm going to have to, I'm going to, I'm going to work on that one. I'm going to be like in bed later. I'm like, oh, drawing, drawing. <laughs> that, that's really cool, man. Seriously. That, that, that's really cool. Um, and yeah, man, like I, thanks a lot for having me on. Like, you know, on my end, like, you know, I, I really appreciate the, uh, the camaraderie and everything. So yeah, I really, really appreciate you guys having me here and everything. Yeah, man, it's been awesome. The, the insight and the application and the, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. Cool. Thanks, man. Well, next time, uh, next time I drop something or if we're talking, I'll, I'll have to come back on sometime soon. Yeah, absolutely. We, we'd love to have you. And, and thank you to everyone listening. Make sure you, you check out Owen Broadcast on, on Twitter and, and pick up a copy of Channel One and, and share your, your favorite comic. And until next time, this has been Tom and Brett and Owen out.